I was JR. And I was Josh. And we'll speak again soon. Josh, I've got a question for you. Yes. Okay, normally, at this time of year, well, not this time of year, but during the course of a Doctor Who series, your voice would be heard reviewing the episodes on the Mostly Harmless Cutaway. But as of yet, we've not had chance to hear any. Why is that? Yeah, I, I suppose it's been cut away. <laughs> um and uh, the reason is not because we haven't recorded them. We have recorded um, at least uh, uh, episodes for Deep Breath, Into the Dalek, and uh, Robot of Sherwood. But unfortunately, due to um, Eric's busy schedule, uh, those haven't been edited and come out yet. So I suppose that'll be a surprise down the line. Oh. Right at the moment. Uh, and we didn't even record for Listen yet. So that's kind of where we are right now. Oh, but at least they are being recorded then. Yes, they are. Oh, that's so good. So we'll have to see. Yep. Because, you know, I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I look forward to those reviews. Well, it's very nice. Well, they... and I had pl- I had plenty to say too. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> well, and oh, Eric always takes them into places where other podcasts don't really tr- <laughs> dare tread. Oh, definitely, definitely. There there are going to be um, uh, theories and rumors galore. Oh. Coming out of those, yes. And, and you know what? By the time they come out, we'll know whether those theories and rumours actually had anything to them. Yeah, well, we will, especially if it happens in, say, 2016 or 2017, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'm still recovering a bit from the cold I had last week. I'm oh, sure no. any regular listeners will know all about that. <laughs> it's like lack of sleep, too. You put those two things together, right? Oh, absolutely. You're not wrong there. Um, There are four emails, so I'm going to do one now. I'll do another one in a little while, and we'll just take them as they come. Mike Coldwell, first time writing in, says, Hi, chaps. Enjoying the podcast, but your Robot of Sherwood review got my back a bit. Three times, three times, you mentioned that the whimsical fairy tale quality of the episode was reminiscent of the comic TV-21, the 1960 broadsheet comic launched to capitalise on the various Jerry Anderson shows of the era. TV-21 never did fairy tale, being for the most part comprised of stony-faced action-adventure strips that treated what were ostensibly puppet shows as seriously as the Doctor Who magazine strip treats modern Doctor Who. Speaking of which, there was no Doctor Who strip in TV-21, the closest it came was the legendary backpage Dalek strip created by, oh, scripted by David Whittaker, which was as serious as the rest of the comic. Now, if you'd said TV comic, then we'd be talking, because that was, of course, the comic home of whimsical Airsats Doctor Who for many years. Utterly bonkers stuff. Anyway, I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. I love Capaldi's portrayal, and Jenna Coleman is great this year. My only gripe, really, is that some of the writing and structuring of the season seems rather too familiar. 
As good as Robot of Sherwood was, the celebrity historical is just getting stale as a concept. And that was from Mike Caldwell. And all I've got to say to that is, that was Simon's mistake. <clears throat> and Simon being the comics buff should have known better. <laughs> Do you know what though, Josh? It's point at the end about the celebrity historical becoming a bit stale as a concept. Well, two things about that. One, I guess, yes it is, but on the other hand, if it works, and you know, that is something that the audience at home, particularly a more casual audience, can look forward to, because as great as some of the sort of sci-fi stuff Doctor Who does is, you know, your regular man in the street is thinking, oh, Robin Hood's in Doctor Who this week, that'll be interesting, or Queen Victoria mm. or whoever. So I guess for their sort of, not so much for the hardcore fan, but for the sort of regular viewers, the celebrity historical is actually something they look forward to, do you think? It's it's not like they do it constantly. Um, I, I they, they don't do it enough for me to say that it's stale. They It's, it's just part of Doctor Who, really. And it's yeah. been part of Doctor Who since the beginning. That's very true, very true. <laughs> I mean, Na Napoleon Bonaparte, you know, I, I mean, it's... It's been it's been doing the show's been doing it for 50 years. You know, why stop now? I, I think that it's it does make it interesting and I, I don't really have an issue with it, provided it's not, you know, every single we shouldn't have yeah. a robot of Sherwood every single time. Right. No, 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 no. In fact, Russell T. Davis used to do what an average of three historicals a year, whereas I think Stephen Moffat has paired that back to probably one or maybe two. Oh, definitely. And the and the yeah. celebrity historical. I'm not sure we even get one of those each year, do we? I'm trying to think if there was one in series seven. There probably was, and I just can't remember it. No, I don't think so. No, I, I, think... I don't. Th I don't think so. And and um, the one prior to that, maybe Van Gogh. Victory of the I Daleks. Mean, uh, yeah, it? Churchill. I guess. Yep. Yeah. I suppose actually, Curse of the Black Spot was something of a celebrity historical, seen as the the leader of the pirates was actually a real person. But it's not quite the same as having Charles Dickens in the show. No, I mean, again, it's if you're going to go back in history, you might as well make it interesting. Yeah, yeah. And the other point is, I think, the, the thing about the Robin Hood episode is that Robin Hood didn't actually exist. So it's not so much a celebrity historical as a celebrity faux historical. Oh, and Queen Elizabeth, yes. I mean, and <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, compl yeah. Completely forgot. Oh, but this is, but this is what Stephen Moffat. You know, I've been saying this for years. This is what Stephen Moffat does. He likes to take some of the sort of standard formats, especially the ones that Russell T Davies used to do, and mix them all up. So something like Day of the Doctor, where part of it's in history, part of it's on modern day Earth, and part of it's in outer space on Gallifrey. You know, he really likes to mix it up. He really likes to put all sorts of different things in an episode together. Yeah, and that's what Doctor Who is. So I'm I'm happy when I see it, and I'm just as happy when I don't. So it's all good. So there you go, Mike. We're with you on TV21, but we disagree about the celebrity historicals. <laughs> Josh, before we get into Time Heist, because Time Heist is what we're really here to talk about, Seeing as nobody has heard any of your thoughts on the first four episodes yet, let's go through them. In fact, okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to give you okay. I'm going to give you 60 seconds on each of the first four episodes, 
and I'm going to do it out of sequence. So let's start now with <laughs> 60 seconds on Robot of Sherwood. Yeah, Robot of Sherwood was uh, it was it was okay. I didn't love Robot of Sherwood, but um, I, I do think that Capaldi, as we as we start moving through, is becoming more of who his doctor is going to be, and we're starting to see it here. I thought it got a little bit um, a little bit childish towards the middle with the the argument back and forth. Why are you laughing all the time? It just yeah. it, it got it got a little bit uh, tiresome. But other than that, I mean, it, it's it was an enjoyable romp, uh, and I, I know that everybody's saying that, but I really believe that it was just simply an enjoyable romp. Did I feel any anything perilous in in the the story? No, I did not, and um, I don't think that um, we really understood about the sheriff until we sort of read the the clippings on it that he was a robot. I don't yeah. think anybody knew that, so that's it's sad that we didn't get that piece, and I understand why we didn't get it, but it's sad that we didn't get it. Although our opinion was that it was a better story for not having it, because as a human being really? with those motivations, it makes him a far more interesting character. If he's just a robot, he's just under the robot's control. And to me, that just makes him dull. Well, it was not... It was... I can understand that perspective. Yeah. But I probably could have used that piece in trying to understand the reason why this this Robin Hood existed in the first place. Um, yeah, I think it would have it would have really sent that message home, and I don't think that the message was wasn't really sent home very well as a result. My view. Ah, that's fair enough. I've got to agree with you on the sort of it being it was it was one of those episodes that was entertaining without really being in any way kind of important. Scary. Or, yeah, <laughs> well, it wasn't scary, but you know, there are, we'll get into this when we get to time heist, actually, because. That's how I feel about Time Heist. It's sort mm. of connected with this idea, but Robot of Sherwood, it was one of those episodes that you could enjoy while you were watching it, but afterwards, it really didn't live in the memory too well. Yeah, yeah, good point. I think, but that, you know what's really interesting is that anything that Gatiss has done sort of puts, it's put in that category for me, for the most part. I don't really, it's not one that I'll go back and think about again. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't agree with you more, quite frankly. <laughs> Although I did enjoy Crimson Horror a lot more. I think he, um, I think that was the one episode where he really kind of went to town on the fun stuff, and that was. It's better. It's yeah. better. But you know, as you go backwards, you know. Yeah, it's uh, still Idi Idiot's Lantern. Yeah, it, well, as fun as Crimson Horror was, it was still pretty inconsequential, really. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, mm. definitely. Yeah. Oh, okay, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Okay, Josh. Sixty. Okay. No, I'm gonna in this one. I'm gonna give you seventy-four seconds on oh, deep wow. breath. <laughs> oh, deep breath. Okay, so uh, this one I did get out into the public because uh, I actually <laughs> wrote a blog on deep breath, um, and uh, at JoshSimon.com. But uh, <laughs> uh, deep deep <clears throat> breath. Um, I all I while I enjoyed it to a large extent, I think that my main issue with deep breath is that I don't like to be lectured by my writers. Okay. And I okay. really felt as though I was being lectured. Um, and maybe it wasn't really designed for me. And I understand that because I can take an older doctor versus maybe one of the newer fans that has never seen an older doctor. And when I say an older doctor, I'm not saying an old doctor. He's not old. Okay. Let's, let's be clear. He's not old. He's older than what we've seen. <laughs> Okay, um, and we we're being put in uh, in Clara's position 
as and we're being told with our fingers being pointed at our face don't you make a judgment on him just because he's older or old as they call it um you know when the veil was lifted uh yeah. you know we figured it out right i think it, it went a little bit beyond the pale as much as it should have more than it should have and uh, as a result it took away from my enjoyment of the story now I get an extra probably uh, 24 seconds, so I'm going to talk a little bit about... Oh, you half... got your extra 24 seconds, but carry oh, on. Oh, I did? Yeah. Oh, okay, all right. I'll just say carry one on. more thing then. Yeah, go I'll on. Say it's one all more right. Thing. The, the, um, the end part with, um, you know, uh, the doctor pouring the drink and, and uh, the half-faced man and that whole conversation and how that took place was so well-directed. Um, and so well acted by both actors that I really, I mean, you almost saw the, the approach that Moffat was going to take to the season with this. Yes. And then, you know, juxtaposing that with the Missy character and the promised land piece and how that's all going to work together. Um, I found was very interesting. Did I need a sequel to girl in the fireplace? No, but there you go. But then on the other hand, oh, I'm going back to being eight. And seeing a man who's only got half a face and he's got a candle inside his head. How spooky kinda, would that be? Kind of cool. Kind of cool yeah. for a kid. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, yes. No d- and the dinosaur I like his as well. eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I love that kind of stuff. I know some fans will say, oh, but, you know, you can't power a clockwork man with a candle. And I say to them, Tish, who cares yeah. whether you can power a clockwork man with a candle? It looks brilliant. And, and you know what? I wouldn't buy that because that those robots are designed, as we all know, <clears throat> to to maintain their life in in some way, shape, or form, and they figure it out. Yes, right. Oh, I, I, you know what? I absolutely agree with you about the. And you know, I wrote about this not in exactly the terms you used, but just same sort of thing about them sort of shoving it down our throat about the new Doctor. I could. I, if you'd have taken all those scenes out and made it a 60-minute episode, perhaps it would have been perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You're probably right. And uh, um, I, I do love some of the scenes. In it. I mean, the scene with uh, with Liz Sladen's husband, Brian Miller. Oh, yes. Um, was, was, was to die for. It really, it really does. Um, the whole eyebrows thing, which we see over and over again now. Yeah. Um, you know, he had, Matt Smith had his Geronimo and his bow tie, and and his chin, uh, and his chin. <laughs> and yeah, Peter Capaldi has his eyebrows, um, and I, I just I I love that. I, I love establishing a new Doctor like that, and uh, so I think I think in that vein they did very well. I, one more point is that too bad Barry Letts isn't still with us. You know, to have seen a dinosaur like that. Oh yeah, Who, right. Yeah, mind you. Dinosaurs on a spaceship did a pretty good job with its dinosaurs too. True, true. But a dinosaur in the middle of London. Yeah, I know. That's where that's where I was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Josh, sixty seconds on. I tell you what, I'm going to do into the Dalek now. Sixty seconds, go. Okay, into the Dalek was. um, I, I think I think it might have gotten a little bit more than what it deserved as far as uh, kudos. It was okay. It wasn't great. I didn't love it. Um, I I think that some of the things within it, the the miniaturization um, part, was not as perilous as 
it should have been. That one-liner about, you know, don't uh, don't hold your breath here yeah. uh, was the only perilous piece of that. I think they could have done more with that. Uh, and as... And and kind of predictable that if the Doctor goes and solves the problem, that the Dalek will come back and be what the Dalek was. Um, you know, there seems to be a lot of trying to convince us um, that if if you if you show somebody something that they uh, that that would show emotion, that that might change how they are. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that that is in reality true. So, in any case, it was good. Uh, I I enjoyed it. I I didn't you know I wasn't looking at my watch, but um, and the Journey Blue character that beginning scene with the Doctor and the Journey Blue character was absolutely brilliant. He just is not afraid. He's just in. He has no fear at all. No, that was in fact <clears throat> a bit later on where oh I can't remember the character's name, the one who's about to sacrifice herself and tells the Doctor to do something brilliant and name it after her. <coughs> yeah, that was yeah, a fantastic. Yeah, no, but that was a fantastic scene. But the bit where she gets taken and it's Missy mm-hmm. was just—it was shot just like the bit where the Doctor rescues Journey Blue at the start. And I yeah. thought, and my instant reaction as that started to happen was, is the Doctor coming back from the future and materializing the TARDIS inside the Dalek? Hmm. And then it was Missy. Yeah. So, so that that whole scene was a bit shivers down the spine for me. Oh yeah. The thing uh, about and, and go on. I, I was just gonna say it's really interesting how you know, and I'm including all the episodes we've seen so far, how much um, the Doctor is willing to uh, let somebody die. Yeah. Um, very easily let somebody die. Um, and he's called on it in Time Heist, but we'll get there. Yeah. Uh and and it's it's just I don't know if this is a personality thing or I mean this there's a bunch of different pieces that are coming to us the hero piece and the soldier piece and all these things are starting to you know I mean it was at the end of Into the Dalek where he said you know it's too bad you're a soldier. Yeah. You know? I mean it's oh, yeah. just very strange. It's just very strange that you know we have that when um well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that that it's there. Well, the yeah, it's obviously all deliberate, isn't it? I mean, this mm-hmm. doctor has a thing more than any of the others have, and several of the others have had this thing about soldiers, about people who are actually trained to kill. And the thing about a soldier is, you're getting paid to potentially go out there and kill people and do it in a way that makes it a positive thing. And when I say positive, I don't mean necessarily as a force for good although you would in that situation you would have to have the belief that what you're doing is as a force for good but when i say positive i mean as in terms of like a positive and a negative on an electric cable do you know what i mean yeah yeah killing as a as a proactive thing as opposed to a reactive thing killing in cold blood or killing with a forethought in other words and then you've got the Doctor, who's taken against people who get paid to do this. And we're seeing a Doctor who's actually going out and being like this himself. You know? Yeah. There's a, there's a real conundrum about to unfold about the Doctor and, and Danny Pink, isn't there? Yeah, there really is. And, and it's, it's kind of, 
it's it's so it's really telegraphed. Yeah. Uh, and and you know just certain lines, you know the line about the soldier piece and mm. all that other stuff. The doctor getting in the way of the date. Yeah, yeah. Seems seems like he's she he's always there when he, she's about to see him. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I don't mind them telegraphing it. I mean, part of the reason no. why they telegraph these things is also for the sort of seven-year-olds who are watching. But at the same time, for the grown-ups who are watching, it's building the anticipation of what will happen when the two characters meet. Yeah, because I, I, I don't mind. I don't mind the telegraphing either, Jr. Yeah, but you know, uh, because Moffat doesn't generally telegraph out. No, he you know, right does out the in front of your face. Yeah, right. In fact, he usually what he'll do is if he knows he's got something coming, he'll disguise it so much that when you arrive at it, it's a big surprise. Yes. So it is exactly. It's, it's unusual to see Stephen Moffat doing it, but mm. you can only you can only hope that when we get there, it won't disappoint. And in fact, by the time people listen to this podcast, they'll be there because it's next week's episode, isn't it? Okay, then, Josh, one more episode to cover. Uh, oh, and this is the one you've not talked about yet uh, in terms of what you've recorded for uh, mostly harmless cutaway. So I might let you have a little extra time with this one as well. But listen, go. <laughs> I loved listen. Listen, oh, listen, listen takes me back to um, the way I felt during Blink, uh, the way I, I, the way I felt during Silence in the Library. Kind of um, Moffat at his best. Let's put it yeah. that way. Uh, and and this is this is an area where he's he's talked about a lot. Uh, you know, he looks at he looks at his his child or his children and what they what they fear in the middle of the night. Remember the crack on the wall is what they would yeah. fear, right? Uh, and is there somebody under the bed? And these are all you know nightmares of children. And yeah. and it turns out it was the doctor's nightmare as well. And I, I just I love how we got there. It's just a very interesting. It wasn't because. The TARDIS, you know, lands somewhere, everybody scatter, you know, it mm. was, it was the doctor's trying to figure out something, why the word listen is on his board uh, and, you know, him talking to himself and, and the way, the way the story unfolded using Clara's bad date with Danny Pink and how she got distracted was a nice mm. way. It was a nice way to get her distracted towards the end uh, by thinking about the doctor. Oh yeah, and she even has his DNA on her finger, of course, when she uses the TARDIS um, telepathic circuits because she's just touched his forehead where he's bleeding. Yes. So a lot of those things, and it it just makes it it makes it very interesting because you know at the end of the day, if the TARDIS can the TARDIS flight can be geared towards your uh, this is sort of, it, it's not a new idea, okay? They did it in Frontier in Space, right? At the end of Frontier mm. in Space, uh, the TARDIS telepathic circuits yeah. going to the Time Lords so that they bring them to, uh, for, for the story of Planet of the Daleks. But the fact is, you know, Tegan could have used this, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so many companions could have used this uh, um, uh, as as a tool for them to get to where they need to go. But, uh, but, but, Nevertheless, I, I like the idea. 
I I enjoyed the story and I enjoyed how the story ended and I don't really care about the whole, you know, Gallifrey's in this one moment and you can't go back and all that nonsense. Remember, he turned off all the safeguards, right? Yeah, plus... So, that's your answer. Yeah, plus if you've time-locked Gallifrey into some kind of a time loop, that doesn't necessarily mean... Well, does it? I can't remember quite exactly how... Um, Day of the Doctor finished, but does that mean you've time-looped everything that's ever happened on Gallifrey? Because if you time-lock everything that's ever happened on Gallifrey, then that has a knock-on effect for the vampires who ended up in Space. There will never have been a war with the vampires, so the vampires... The Doctor's birth! The Doctor's birth! Yeah, and, you know, these vampires would be roaming around the galaxy. The Sisterhood of Khan would never have had the um, Elixir of Life. The whatever they were called, the Minions in the Underworld minions. would never yeah. have had the regeneration technology. All of these things would have changed if you'd have time-locked everything that's ever happened on Gallifrey. My understanding was that they uh, time-locked the Time War. Anyway, uh, we should get on and talk about Time Heist, but let's have one more email before we get to Time Heist. This is from Weird Bean, who's not written into the podcast for a while. He says, Dear Blue Boxers, I haven't bothered you in ages, so I've made sure this message is extra long, as I know how fond you all are of reading out novellas. But let me start by saying how very, very disappointed I am in you, Mr. Southall. Your episode on Into the Dalek clearly should have started with the phrase, for the next 60 minutes we're going to be caring so you don't have to. (laughs) And he's right, you know, I should have. Lee pointed that out as well when we got together afterwards. But it just didn't strike me to do it. <laughs> anyway, Whitbean carries on and says, But that gripe aside, as ever, you've presented some interesting insights and ideas into Season 8, so thank you all. I'm also really, really looking forward to your review of Listen, a sensitive and intriguing episode, again putting the Doctor right at the heart of Doctor Who. Bravo, Grand Moff, bravo. But has anyone else spotted the running themes in these episodes? Game shows. Oh, no, seriously. Deep Breath, with its tests of knowledge and physical endurance, clearly an homage to the Krypton Factor. Into the Dalek, total wipeout, in more ways than one. Robots of Sherwood, the golden shot. And listen, Hider in the house. So Time Heist must be an homage to the vault. I bet none of that means anything to you, Jizzy Josh. No, it doesn't. They were all English shows or British shows that he was uh, referencing there. But in all seriousness, he says, I think there's a running plot thread that's been overlooked in pretty much every discussion about this run of the show. The whole why is the old business in deep breath just infuriated a lot of fans. Okay, so it was there to bridge the gap between Smith and Capaldi for younger fans or more casual viewers. And in that sense, boy, was that message overlaboured. But it was there for another reason, too. Madame Vastra tells Clara that the Doctor is old looking because he trusts Clara. That's an immediate suggestion to my mind that in turning into Capaldi, the Doctor is allowing himself to really be himself, warts and all. Not that Mr Capaldi is in any way warty, and he certainly does not look 2,000 years old. We have the comments that suggest the Doctor was working under the false impression of trying to be like Clara's boyfriend in his old incarnation. And in Day of the Doctor, we had the War Doctor complaining about 10 and 11 for being so young, not only in appearance, but in attitude. What is it, he says, that makes you so ashamed of being grown up? 
Well, as we know, the answer was the War Doctor, something the Doctor has now been able to come to terms with. We also have the Doctor questioning himself, what he does, is he a good man? And the Doctor's character seems to be even more prone to reflection than ever before. We've seen his self-doubt, we've seen a large chunk of his formative motivation, and that fear is his superpower. I have to ask the question, is he really angry, or is he just scared? Is the anger just to mask his fear? Is this the only mask he's still wearing? Whatever the case, I'm loving Capaldi's performances so far. I know he's pushing the grumpiness possibly a bit too far, but I'm still loving it. So, are we seeing what Mr Moffat thinks of as the real Doctor? Whilst any of the themes of these episodes may not be wholly new in Doctor Who, this certainly feels like a far more personal version of the Doctor to me, one that is far more exposed than ever before. Well, I promised a novella, and I hope I haven't disappointed. Keep up the great work, guys. P.S. Simon and Lee, you are both wrong. Day of the Doctor really will stand the test of time. I would not be surprised if it doesn't end up as number one in the next Doctor Who magazine poll. P.P.S. I dedicate this work to Clara Oswald, rapidly becoming my new Who favourite companion. Well there, Josh. He says... And actually, because I don't read the emails before I get to the podcast, don't tell anybody I said that, but I literally (laughs) cut cut and paste them in so that I can react to them as naturally as I can when I'm reading them in the middle of the podcast. I think that's an excellent theory, actually. You know what? Um, I've I've thought about a little bit about this because it's been so much in our face about Capaldi and and why, why the doctor feels like he wants to be older here. I mean, I, I think that the best explanation that I can come up with is that he has an entirely new genera- regeneration cycle at this point. Um, that in his final regenerations, he wanted to be as young as possible so that he would last as long as possible. Yeah. Um, it, it would just sort of make sense. And now that he's he has 13 more bodies, if you will, why not just be himself? Well, possibly tying those two thoughts together, because I agree. In fact, I said this in the last podcast that hasn't gone out yet as we record this. I think every regeneration, he should go back to being young, because that is the way to extend your life as long as possible. But if you take that idea with the idea that he has come to the end of a set of natural regenerations, and therefore this current version of the Doctor is older than the Doctor should ever have got to be, because if he hadn't been given the new regeneration cycle, he wouldn't have lasted this long. So if you take the idea on the one hand of him um, being younger, because that's what nature would do, but on the other hand, starting a new cycle in a body that reflects the age that the old cycle achieved before it reached its end, you kind of get Peter Capaldi. Yeah. If you see what I mean. Yeah, I do. I mean, but I think at the same time, like, if... If you have the freedom to have thirteen lives, I think that you can, you can play around with your with your age without much thought because you're going to be around for a long time anyway. Yeah. So so, I think I think there's a degree of comfort for him to be, a little older. Um, and he, I mean, I still believe that that that's the reason why he was able to be who he is now. But I I don't know. Um, 
I, I, I will agree on the Clara thing. I think Clara is fantastic, and she, and I, I think that that's not only a testament to how she's written, but also a testament to to what a great actress Jenna Coleman actually yeah. really is. Um, and I, I've liked her since she first turned up. She's so I'm not good. disagreeing with you at all. It's one thing to enjoy how they look; it's another thing to enjoy. And I'm saying that for myself. I know the um, performance. I mean, I've liked her performance since she first turned up. Yeah, her performance has been spectacular. But you know what? I didn't really uh, feel it towards the end of the Matt Smith era um, in that second half of the season, series seven, mm. as much as I feel it now. That that um, that she's tremendous, and uh, I think I think having Capaldi there, it really it the chemistry between the two really works for me. It seems real. So well done guys. Right, Josh, here's my theory of the week, shall we say? And that is this, uh, how to put this when you're making a run of 12 or 13 or however many Dr. Who episodes you are. And you know, Russell T Davis and Stephen Moffat have been the epitome of this because when you do a brand new story every week, or with the occasional two-parter, you've got a lot more stories to do per year than when you're doing six-parters, say, during the Barry Letts era. Mm-hmm. You know, even Russell T. Davis with his two-parters got through twice as many stories a year as Barry Letts ever did. There's always going to be ones where you just throw the story in because you need to fill a week. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, um, I do. And in the middle of some of those Russell T. Davis series, there were stories that were in the middle there where, you know, as much as you may have enjoyed them, you kind of got to the end of the episode and thought, well, what was that for, really? Apart from to fill <laughs> 45 minutes, you know, it, it may have been a bit of fun, but you, you forget about it immediately afterwards. And it's not something you ever really go back and think again, mm-hmm. think about again. Now, <clears throat> Stephen Moffat, when he came and took over the showrunner job. His first series, Series 5, that, to me, was a bit like a Russell T. Davis series, in that, you know, it had the two-parters in the right places, some of the atmosphere and tone, particularly earlier on. I think it started off a bit like a Russell T. Davis series and kind of gradually moved towards where Stephen Moffat was going to take the show. But it felt kind of Russell T. Davis-ish, and in the middle of that series... And we can all disagree or agree about which particular episodes I'm talking about. But there were two or three stories in the middle that seemed a bit inconsequential. And then Stephen Moffat did something, whether by his own choice or by imposition from the BBC, I don't suppose we'll ever really know. He split the series. He did that with series six and he did that with series seven. So that in effect... Rather than having one 13-episode series of Doctor Who, you had... Well, rather than having two 13-episode series, you had four six- or seven-episode series, which means that there are more debuts and more finales. But it also means that the episodes in between are far fewer in number between Mm -hmm. the start and finish. And so you've got to make those episodes count more. And I think in Series 6 particularly, and in Series 7 to a larger, a large extent, but not quite as much as in Series 6, there was a case that every episode counted. 
there were very few filler episodes. Almost every episode had a story to tell and a point to make. And what I think we're seeing here with series eight, and <laughs> this is a very long preamble to talking about Time Heist, what we're seeing here with series eight is returning to the format of the extended series, but still making every episode count. Because, and here's the point I was coming towards, I thought Time Heist was going to be the inconsequential filler episode, and I couldn't have been more wrong. What did you what did you think of it, Josh? I love Time Heist. It's it's my favorite of the season so far. Really? Uh, yeah, but it's it's been gradually building up to that because I loved Listen also. And yeah. it's not that I didn't like Robot of Sherwood or Into the Dalek, but it's almost like it's it's ramping up. Yeah. And and the ramp up is perfect. Like every one of the stories up until now has been ramping up and and I'm at the highest level of the of the chart right now. <laughs> You're at the top of the ramp. I am. Um I'm just hoping I don't end up going down that I continue to go up. Um well, it's interesting at, you mentioned yeah. you mentioned all that stuff about, you know, the filler episodes and the love and monsters and the um even things like even the, the Lazarus experiment and, Right, right. Yeah. Right. And I'm I'm with you on that. I think that that's definitely the case. Um, and I I I see your point about it. We haven't hit that point yet. Um, we might hit it next week, Jr. So I don't think just, we will, because next just, week is the Doctor and Danny, isn't it? I I know, but the caretaker, you know, feels like the lodger in many ways. Um, and, yeah, yeah. And and you know what? The lodger actually was not a um, a filler. Uh, it had some important pieces to it, but it actually yeah. was sort of a filler in, in the end of the day. Closing time was a filler, uh, I felt. I actually preferred closing time to the lodger. Really? Yeah, I know. I'm not, not many I'm not, people. I'm not, yeah, not, not me. Um, but, I mean, it, it, there's just... Um, I, I definitely see your point there. And, and no, I did not feel like it was ever going to be like that. I, I thought I was going to love this one. Because I, I actually... I'm, I mean, I love that you know oceans 11 leverage yeah you know, plant planning on something like that and and uh and having it uh be wildly interesting and something i can think through have you ever seen a series called hustle that's a series no. we have no oh, well this is no. i think even more than oceans 11 i think it was inspired by hustle because hustle is one of these series a little bit like coupling which was stephen moffat's last um yep. regular series yeah, that I have seen. All I right, have seen coupling. <laughs> well, you know the thing that Stephen Moffat was doing in the Clara and Danny Pink sequences, where you would see the effect before you saw the cause, so mm -hmm. that you'd have the anticipation of how you would get to the effect. Hustle is a series that would, on occasion, do that as part of the heist scenario. They'd show you might start the episode with the bit where it goes wrong, and then flash back mm -hmm. to the point at which you come in. So that the audience spends the next half an hour anticipating the moment at which it goes wrong. And when you do something like that, one of the brilliant things that you allow the audience to do is follow the threads so they can see the points at which the threads start to unravel before mm -hmm. the characters can. Yes, yes. And, and actually, JR, there's another show here in the States called Motive. Oh, really? Yeah. And and basically what they do at the beginning is they tell you who the killer is. Oh, they tell you right. Who yeah. the victim is. And then you watch as the cops... Um, trying to work it out. Try to work it out. 
A bit and, like and Columbo. They, and while they're working it out, we're working it out too. Yeah. And I love that kind of storytelling. I love it. And so that's why this this story really worked for me. Because well, I, I yeah. loved how they just put us right in. They just put us right where they were, which is not remembering anything. So we don't know why they're there. Oh, exactly. It's like the opposite. It's like um, it, it, it works in both ways. It works kind of in the same way as what we were just talking about, where you know a certain amount. More than the characters do, because as the episode starts, they've no idea that they're in the middle of a heist. But we already worked that out from the first scene, right? So yep. we kind of, so in some ways, the audience is ahead of the characters, but in other ways, because of the way it works in this instance, what you've done is you've put everybody on the back foot, including yep. the audience. So everybody's working it all out together. And it becomes like a competition between the characters and the audience to work out what the writer's doing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's a it's a really subtle and quite low key sort of style of storytelling, really, because it doesn't fizz and crackle in the way that an episode of Coupling, say for example, would do. It just it's kind of it's just kind of steady with a sort of steady reveal of things. It's very low-key Doctor Who, very understated Doctor Who, but that actually achieves far more than ever seems to promise as it goes along, because every time a new revelation is made, it, I was talking about this on the podcast a few weeks ago, when you get the surprises, when you get the revelations, does it meet your expectations, exceed them, or fall short? And in Time Heist, every expectation you had, you know, why would the Doctor be robbing a bank? When you find out why the Doctor's robbing a bank and who sent him there to rob the bank in the first place, it's like, oh my God, A, entirely logical, and B, exceeds your expectations because you assume it's going to be something insignificant, and it's not. It's something hugely significant. It's the very central tenet of what the series is about. He's robbing the bank because he's doing a good deed. Mm-hmm. And and everything that you see at, in the beginning, and, and it demands a second watch, JR, this one. Demands a second or a third watch. Yeah. Because um, actually I watched it twice, and the second time I actually enjoyed it more than the first time. Because I, I think could I see will. Where, I, yeah, I've not had a chance to yet, but I'm where, sure where I will. They put the, where they put the threads together, um, the reason for everything yeah. becomes a lot more uh, clear to you. And when you're watching it the first time, you are forced to think about every single thing that occurs, okay? Yeah. And how it all comes together at the end. All of the pieces are are out there for you to investigate in your mind, but you're watching the story and you're watching the drama unfold. Yeah. So you don't have really time to think about it. And you just let it go over you and and watch it but the second time you'll see all those little pieces that the doctor set up for this to work yes and and it makes it even better i i, I want to make one comment on on capaldi in this story gone um his doctor's really shining through right now i i can see his doctor i can understand him i i know i know what they're trying to do with him and i feel it there was a moment here, and when you go back and watch, take a look for this moment. They are the solar storm had just begun, and the Doctor and Clara are looking at the um, at the vault, and 
the solar storm starts and and she says something like uh how do they know the solar storm was here and the doctor just he looks he takes a look back and he takes a look forward and he begins to smile and he says uh-huh. mm. and it was like it reminded me of that moment in time of angels at the end of the first episode at the end of the first episode of the story where Matt Smith, you know, is talking to the, to the angel and says, uh, you know, you don't put me in a trap, you know, that whole thing about, you don't put oh, me yeah, in a trap yeah. and how amazing and how like spine tingling it was. Yeah. And that moment when he got it and he's just like, Oh, I totally get this now. It's not, it's not a bank robbery. It's, it's a, it's a time travel heist, you yeah. know, and, and and so he starts to figure it out, and I just I love the look on his face just then. It it really showed Capaldi in in what type of doctor he's going to be. I don't I don't I can't describe it well enough. I'm sure I didn't just then. I know exactly what you mean though. I think, oddly enough, seeing as this was a much less showy episode for him than any of the four previous ones, he feels more natural in this. This is Peter Capaldi. I think this is the best he's been because he's being more natural. Mm-hmm. You know, each of the four, the first episode, obviously, that's his regeneration episode. So he has to, he has to do the character very ostentatiously. And then the second one is the Dalek one. So there's fireworks. And then mm-hmm. in the third one, there's all that bickering and all the, no, Robin Hood can't exist. And then in the fourth one, that's the very introspective episode. But this one is just the doctor. Mm-hmm. And this is, and you're right, you're absolutely right. This is Peter Capaldi's doctor. This is the paradigm for the performance. This is where his doctor is. And he was a lot warmer, I think, this week. Uh, there's been times in the last few episodes where some of his interaction with some of the guest characters who've come in has been very cold and very snippy. But this week he actually showed a lot of warmth, but still in that sort of slightly begrudging way. That's the Peter Capaldi thing. But I thought he was a lot more, just you know, to use the word, a lot more human this week. Yeah, I I think that he's warming into he's warming into it now. Yeah. Um. And 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 the character is warming into it now as well. So, uh, I'm I, I hearken back to the JNT days with with Colin Baker and what they try to do with him. A lot of what they tried to do with him is what they're trying to do with Capaldi. They just didn't execute it very well. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree and, completely. And, and and so, you know, uh, agreed. So the first few episodes, you know, you're really seeing um, that Clara's the carer and he's not, right? Yeah. And, and there were even spots in here where the doctor gets called on, it, on you know, being the doctor. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that stuff is still, is still out there. Uh, when Psy called him on it, oh yes, the doctor, you know the yeah, 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 the detached doctor, uh, and it's it's interesting because he didn't know that those, you know, that the what are, what are what are they called the oh the name of the things. monster I can't remember no 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 the, the those those little things that kill you the oh I don't know what they're called yeah the teleport the things that turned out to be the, teleport. They turn out to be right. It's yeah. a teleport. That sounds more like Blake Seven, but I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, he didn't know that that's what those were. But there were six of them. I mean, that's something else you don't really see at the beginning that there was six of them. But but he was willing to let them die as a result. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like in Into the Dalek. 
Like in Deep Breath at the end, basically, but Into the Daleks, the big example of that, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, again, I mean, but the Doctor, in, in thinking through how he was going to make this work, obviously didn't want anybody to die. Um, and, and, you know, planned it as such yeah. that, that no one would die. Of course he could have, something could have been mentioned in there that that was a teleport device and not a, you know, not something that would kill you. Um, oh, but the story wouldn't have worked because the point of that was <laughs> they were reading the doctor's mind. So they needed to think that these other two characters were dead, didn't they? Yeah. So it all worked out. Everything. It's one of those episodes where absolutely everything, and I think this was true with Listen, and I talked about this a lot last week, everything that's set up pays off, and everything that pays off has been set up. Yes, yes, indeed. It's, it's, it, there's not it's a waste of breath. good storytelling, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, good storytelling, great script, direction was fantastic. Oh, Douglas McKinnon. I think oh. he's about my favorite director on Doctor Who to be honest uh, with it you. was just it was just so well done and and such a great piece of television and great Doctor Who really did... really solid Doctor Who yeah yeah which is not really what I was expecting because the thing is this is Doctor Who doing something it's never really done before I mean the sort of heist thing uh, the first episode of Attack of the Cybermen kind of treads into that territory a little bit and then sort of pulls back from it but to do it like this, it's like Doctor Who trying on a new pair of shoes and finding that, oh my God, they fit perfectly. <laughs> it's almost like um, they took some pieces from previous ideas and actually made them work. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole idea behind the, the whatever, the teller's race and, and mm. the, behind the, the, there was, there was an allusion to that in Hyde. I mean, Hyde kind of had that same thought process you know there was yeah yeah you know, you know what i mean oh so, yeah so, yeah so it, it actually the, there were there were pieces that 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 come from something previous but um well i have a little theory about that but go on and i'll come to my theory after no but i mean uh, this doctor has uh you know put forward this whole plan and set it up so that it would absolutely work to to free uh, this, yeah, whatever it's called, the teller's wife will call her. Um, <laughs> you know, all all to do with this bank, all to do with you know the 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 guilt that he was going to provide to to uh, um, what's her? I can't remember the at Raxos. What are, what's her name? Oh, Cara Braxos. Cara Braxos. Mm, I think that's um, it. All the all the guilt and so on. You're gonna you're gonna regret this, and the day that you'll regret it here. To you know, I'm a time traveler. All that stuff had to have been perfect. Yeah, yeah. It, it had to have been meticulously planned, knowing how you would react. Imagine you're part of this plan and you've created it. Yeah. And it's just knowing how everybody was gonna react. Crazy, crazy stuff. It's it's like uh, the doctor leaving the card in the shop window at the end of lodge, of the lodger, so he could find it at the start of the lodger and know where yes. to go. That's and it's also it's also like last week's episode. Listen, in essence, this story follows exactly the same trajectory as Listen. Something that happens at the end of it is what triggers the start of it, 
and we don't know till we come to the end of it that the trigger is going to be the very person who is following the trigger at the start of the episode, if you know what I mean. It's yeah, a traje- absolutely. It's an absolutely and, circular trajectory for the Doctor. And 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 remember when he said, you know, I've lived for 2,000 years and I've made a lot of mistakes and yes. uh, it's, time, it's time I do something about it? Yeah. This yeah. is this is all around that kind of his motives around all this because he's not landing on planets, getting himself into trouble, and then getting himself out of trouble. He's like starting these things. It's him mm. actually uh, uh, executing upon his own plans. It's definitely becoming of, a theme of the season, isn't it? It is. It is. It, it's and and I, I mean, it's fascinating, right? How how it's taking Doctor Who into a completely different direction. In that the doctor is the one who, who makes all these things happen, versus I mean the whole thing around listen was it was himself he wanted yeah, to investigate yeah. this thing himself he wasn't you know getting involved in some planetary situation some political uh, drama he was doing it himself and and the same thing happened here this is all about him you know and this is my theory I was I mentioned a couple of minutes back. And talking about listen, that's a perfect example. In The Girl in the Fireplace, you famously start with that scene with the robot under the bed. And when listen, and when listen came on, people said, Oh, Stephen Moffat repeating his old tropes. He's done the thing under the bed thing before. And I'm thinking, yeah, but The Girl in the Fireplace wasn't about that. It was about something completely different. And the thing under the bed was just a very short scene at the start. My theory about Stephen Moffat is he looks back at some of the things he's done and he says, right, well, I did that, but I could have done it better or I could have done it differently or I could have taken the nugget, the basis of that idea and gone on a different journey with it. So why don't I do that now? And so he takes that scene in The Girl in the Fireplace where there's a robot under the bed and it would it's a great scene because it... You know, it, 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 it's built out of our primal fears about what's hiding under the bed from when we're mm-hmm. children. And he says, right, that was just a throwaway scene in that story. But there's so much more you can do with that throwaway scene that I didn't do back then. And then he builds an episode around it. Yep. And this, this episode now, the way this episode ends with the teller having to read the Doctor's mind and the Doctor suddenly realising that the way out was to have the teller read his mind and he knew it wouldn't destroy him because once Mm -hmm. it read his mind, he knew that what it would find there would be what they needed to be safe. Yes. Do you know what that's exactly the same as? Or or going back through Moffat's stuff where he said to himself, there was an idea I had that was a throwaway idea in another story. Let's build a story around it. It's the doctor telling the library to look him up at the end of Forest of the Dead because that's what the teller's doing. It's yeah, looking yeah. the doctor up. That's and the point. entire And the entire plot in that, in, in Forest of the Dead, that was just the get out at the end. But this entire plot is built around the fact that that's where it's going to go and that's how it's going to end. It's almost like they took that as the starting point and worked backwards through the story to build the story around it. Yeah, that's a really yes, exactly. I mean, I really don't know how how they decided to go about this story, but that would make a lot of sense. That mm. you know, we're not go- we're not going to go linear on this one. Let's no. try to make it 
You know what I mean? We we know exactly what we want the ending to be. Let's make the let's make the beginning a little bit different than what we would normally make it. Because, and especially in the classic series, but uh, more probably more noticeably in the new series. And my theory on that is because in the new series, with them mostly being single parters, you actually get the end of the story in the same episode on the same Saturday evening as the start of the story. So it becomes more apparent that this is what's happened. But in the classic series, it was also true. Stories would often start great but not have a particularly good ending. You know, mm. Seed, Seeds of Doom. Oh, my God. It's five Don't episodes. Go <laughs> five episodes are classic. And then in the last episode, they drop a bomb on it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's a bit weak, really. I, I, well, listen, I'm, don't do not do that. Not with Seeds but, of Doom. But, no, but, don't don't but, pick on my Seeds of Doom. Okay. But the point is, <laughs> I get normally... The, 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 yeah, the, the point is, normally, they'll start with the premise and then they'll have to work out how you end it. And oftentimes you've put so much effort into it, it's difficult to find another way to end it. But what you're seeing here, and I think Stephen Moffat does this, and I don't think he gets credit for this because I think he disguises it so well, people think he's making it up as he goes along. But he's not. Stephen Moffat starts a story at the end and works back through to the start and then puts the disguises in that make people think he's making it up as he goes along. He knows exactly where everything's going all the time. He's a really clever man, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that. And this was a brilliant example of... I said this about Into the Dalek, about Phil Ford's writing, Mm -hmm. with Stephen Moffat in that. Sometimes you'll get a... Somebody will come in and write a Doctor Who, and they'll have all these different ideas, and they'll throw it at the episode... And sometimes the ideas don't quite gel together because they started life as separate ideas that have all been thrown at one project. Whereas I think Phil Ford in Into the Dalek, and I definitely think Steve Thompson and Stephen Moffat did it this week, you come up with a central idea and all the other ideas grow out of that original idea rather than being thrown on top of it. Yeah, it's a great way to do writing. It's a great way to write. Yeah. Um, and and you're right. So it makes it more interesting for the person who's uh, who's watching it. There's no mm. doubt. You know what? This story actually, Jr. would have made a great classic Who story. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it would have done. It would have done so well in four twenty-four minute parts. In fact, it's not. In some ways, it's not that different from something like uh, Revelation of the Daleks or Vengeance of Varus, a Six Doctor story. Quite frankly, where the Sixth Doctor comes in and it's almost like. And going back to that email from just now, in some ways it's like a game show. He comes in, there are certain tasks that need to be achieved as he sort of investigates his way to the person who's at the centre of all the games that are being played, if you know what I mean. I'm speaking kind of metaphorically here, but that's kind of how this feels. And in some ways, that's kind of how those sort of Six Doctor stories felt. I don't know, do you, do you think so? Well, I, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I think yeah, the, the whole get the, well the, the whole game show piece. I mean, that's what Doctor Who really is: is the Doctor goes into a situation, has to figure it out, has to answer those questions, has yeah, to yeah. perform the tasks in order to complete whatever he needs to complete. So that isn't unnatural for Doctor Who. It it is. Mm. It's always been like that. Um, but I I think I. My point about the this would fit into a nicely into a classic, um, a classic story is that you know in the forty-five minute format, you know it has to it has to go rather quickly, 
Um, they've mastered it, by the way. They've they've made it into a you know something that they can manage. But I could imagine oh, yeah. that this one could have been stretched. Oh, there was easily, plenty, yeah, plenty yeah. of opportunity to stretch this one. Well, um, I, I said in my review, the normal standard for this kind of story is you begin with the gang coming together, much as you had in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, I suppose. And they bypassed that to get straight into the story this time. I like this gang a little bit better than the Poster Noster gang or whatever it's called. Oh, I, I like them all, to be honest. I... <laughs> I, I, you know, there's no hiding it on this podcast. I'm a big fan of what Stephen Moffat's doing with Doctor Who, and I agree completely. He has absolutely mastered the 45-minute format. There are very few episodes, whether you like them or not, there are very few episodes across the last few years that felt like they had too much or too little. They've all felt about right to me. They also completed this one. In other words, um, they got everybody back to where they should should be, yeah. right? So uh, that doesn't normally happen. Um, you don't really have time to have the uh, the party at the end. Yeah, you know, with the yeah. Chinese food, right? You don't really have time to do that. But yeah, that they was nice, to... actually, wasn't it? I thought it was great. It was great, and and it it made it made it for me. I mean, just the fact that they they all just they were so pleased with themselves. They did what they should have done, and they got what they were looking for out of all of this. Um, <laughs> I just, I really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed this story a lot. I think we both did. More, more definitely in my case than I was ever expecting to. But listen, Josh, <clears throat> we are on a slightly tight schedule and we're going to have to move on, I think. Yep. These are the two emails I've got. Miles Northcott has already written an email in about last night's episode. So I'll do that one first. And then, if you're happy to, we'll score it because we do that on this podcast, so I'm going to okay. make you do it too. But okay. Miles Northcott says, Bonjour mes petits poulets. How's your French, Josh? Do you know what he's saying there? Really, really poor. I studied uh, Spanish in high school. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Bonjour mes petits poulets means hello, my little chickens. Okay. Oh, that's sweet. He says, so Doctor Who does hustle at last. Another fantastic-looking episode with some magnificent touches and a good timey-wimey storyline. But was it any good? The obvious, in it, the obvious initial question was how would the Doctor be persuaded to rob a bank? And this was answered satisfactorily at the end of the episode by making it in, into a rescue mission. And the reintroduction of the memory worms, had you forgotten about them? And if so, is that because <laughs> you've been touching your own worms? <laughs> to remove any memory of why the Doctor and his team were there was a smart move and gave the story a logical premise. Also using the same worms as an escape from their pursuers was clever, which Doctor Who should always endeavour to be. <clears throat> the team worked well together, although within the 45-minute format, they were never going to be used as well as an old-style four- or six-parter would allow. Sabres... Hmm. Yeah, it's true, but, you know, that's the sacrifice you made. Sabra seemed to be there purely for the impersonation, impressionation, if JR is reading this, of the bank's customer to get them in. After that, her presence in the plan was pretty redundant. I'm sure I wasn't the only one hoping that she'd touch the doctor's hand and we'd get her morphing into Troughton or Davison or McGann. That would have been a gorgeous little touch and possibly an opportunity missed. However, more than made up for by Sai, who really should have been played by a Korean actor, surely. And his sacrifice to save Clara from the teller, downloading his list of wanted criminals. Frame by frame hasn't been better served to a Doctor Who episode since Planet of Fire. 
Sensorites, Pteroleptils, Ice Warriors, Captain John, Absalom Dark. Only a second or two on screen, but so much nostalgia and yet more additions to the series canon. I'm not sure how Psy having computer implants would have made all his memories digital, but let's accept that for the basis of the story. His backstory made sense and gave his character motivation, especially when we discovered why he wanted to rob the bank. Both he and Sabra were sympathetic characters, and I'm sure I wasn't alone in expecting Missy to pop up for either or both of them when they had seemed to sacrifice themselves. Sabra's You Are a Good Man speech was delightful and followed on nicely from Capaldi's Am I a Good Man in Into the Dalek. Hmm. Yes. Uh, he says, I wasn't entirely convinced by Keely Hawes at first, but when she was revealed as Miss Carabraxos, I felt that worked better, as her coldness was ramped up to ten. The teller was a fantastic design, although I'm sure the freed versions at the end look I'm not sure the freed versions at the end looked anywhere near as good. And a classic example of how realistic in fact actually, that scene at the end with them walking away into the distance from behind. You know what they reminded me of, Josh? What? Mandrels. Ah ha ha <clears throat> with those backwards <laughs> tapering legs. Yes. Mm. Anyway, I, I could see that. I could see yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. He says, a classic example of how realistic monsters can be made to look these days. Whether it warrants a return performance someday is debatable, as its storyline seem to be perfectly wrapped up within this episode. And unlike the Ood, basically good alien manipulated to be evil, I don't feel the need to see it again. So, all the elements were there. Cast, monster, setting, plot, acting, direction, character. So why did I feel that there was something not quite there with the story? Was it because the gang was able to break in and move about so easily? Was it the reason why Miss Carabraxos called the Doctor in the end? I'm not sure, but for whatever reason it felt it missed a trick somewhere that stopped it being an absolute classic. It was great, yes. It was eminently enjoyable, and I reached the end credits with a smile on my face, as always, and I felt that this was the best characterization of the Doctor since Into the Dalek, much more akin to how the Twelfth Doctor should continue. This week's rating would be an 8. Still, Into the Dalek leads this season for me, from Listen and then either this one or Deep Breath. Next week looks to be one that will split opinion again as we return to Cole Hill and Clara's Triangle. Steady, Lee. Can't wait. <laughs> Loving this series. Catch you earlier, M. And then he says at the end, another book, sorry. That's people talking about how long their emails are, which is getting ridiculous. <laughs> Um, some good points there, and he marked it at the end, Josh. So, out of ten, and it has to be a integer, no fractions on this podcast. Out of ten, Josh, what will you give Time Heist? Uh, solid nine. Really? Solid me... nine. I, I'm, I'm, I just want to, I want to put one point to that. Yeah. The only on. reason it's not a ten is because I always rate everything in New Who up against Time of Angels. And, um, okay, so um, that's a ten, and this one is pretty close for me. It's just brilliant Doctor Who, and if I could give an, uh, um, a non-integer, it would be higher. Oh, okay, fair enough. I gave it an eight, but I'd say it's a fairly high eight. I I I can't disagree with some of his points at the end there, where I say there were some ways in which it didn't quite make it. But then again, I've not seen it for a second time again yet. Yeah, so, you need to do that. <clears throat> that that is required. Yeah. That is okay. required. <coughs> well, I'll have hopefully watched it for a second time 
before I'm back with the regular guys and we'll probably turn well no question we'll end up talking about it again next week <laughs> good and you see should. what they've got to say um but finally <coughs> before we go an email from Grant Nock mm. now Grant Nock was the chap who did our the entire Stephen Moffat era to date on rewatch segment that we had on the podcast a short while ago and he's written in about listen he says, hello, gents. Hope you're all well. After seeing Listen, I felt compelled to get in touch with my thoughts regarding the episode. As you well know, I've not been the greatest fan of Moffat penned episodes, but this one produced quite a different reaction. While watching Listen, I had a strange feeling in the pit of my stomach, gnawing at me, telling me I was watching something special. I watched it twice Saturday night, something I have never done before, and spent the next couple of days with the story uppermost in my thoughts. The scene in young Rupert's bedroom was quite possibly the most eerie and unsettling experience I have ever had watching Doctor Who. Just as unsettling was the scene in Orson's ship as someone or something continues to bang on the outer hull. Very scary stuff. I thought Capaldi and Coleman were excellent throughout, and I'm really enjoying the character and performance of Danny Pink. On to the somewhat controversial final few minutes. I did have an issue with it after the first viewing, which actually made me quite annoyed. It wasn't so much as seeing the Doctor as a child, but more Clara being the one who gives the Doctor the very famous line from an unearthly child. I'm not comfortable at all with Moffat putting his fingerprints on quite a famous part of the show's history. He did it in name of the Doctor, with Clara suggesting which TARDIS the Doctor steals, and that sort of thing just did not sit right with me. I did soften to it second time around, because it's such a beautiful scene, brilliantly written, acted and directed, and, after reading a great article that J.R. retweeted, and I have now completely changed my opinion on such matters. Moffat's not the first to change continuity. It's always happened in Who over the entire history of the show. If anything, Moffat is just adding to it. And if we get scenes as good as the one in the barn, then I'm all for it. So there we have it. As you can probably tell, the episode had a huge effect on me. In my opinion, it's the first true classic of the Capaldi era, an instant all-time favourite of mine, and as I said earlier, something very, very special. Regards, Grant. Well, I'm not going to disagree with a word with that. No, neither am I. I think in some ways... Well... Famously on this podcast, I keep repeating that Series 6 is, I think, the most consistent and the one with the most good episodes in of any of the series since the show's return and certainly since Stephen Moffat's taken over. But Series 8 is shaping up to be just as good. This could be, yeah. the, this could be the best series yet. While, while I don't uh, agree with you on Series 6... Um, no. <laughs> most um, people don't. I, I I think that five was the closest for me to to being um, as complete a season as I've seen um, in, in in New Who, um, even with its uh, its small pieces that I didn't really like. Mm. Um, this I, I agree. This uh, this season has been so far uh, very 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 solid, if not. Um, one of the best. So um, hopefully it'll continue, JR. 
Well, without spoiling anything, I've heard a few minor things about the next run of episodes. I mean, stuff that's in public in the public domain, stuff that was in the Radio Times, and it looks to me like Stephen Moffat has planned this series out to keep the to keep the intensity up, to keep the story moving forwards. It looks to me like this run of twelve episodes could be the most consistent easily since the show came back, and with an arc. That will sort of, uh, with an arc that's an actual proper story, shall we say, mm. rather than just throwing a word at it or throwing a concept at it, it looks to me like Stephen Moffat's written a proper story across the 12 episodes this year. Let's just hope. I, yeah, I agree. And, uh, and uh, you know, the greatest thing in the world is that this show is still, still doing so well. And oh, yeah. Just so proud that uh, um, that it's doing well, and and it, it deserves everything it's going to get this year. It's very, 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 very solid. Excellent. On that note, then, Josh, thank you for your time. Thank and, you, Jr. And your thoughts. It's been lovely to have you on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, until the next time, then. Um, I'm Jr. I'm Josh. And you're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the last 60 minutes, we've been talking about Doctor Who so that you didn't have to. Hey, Doctor Who.